And um, another warm welcome from me as well. I'm Rosie, and I'm also on the staff team here. Um, and we are yeah, carrying on in the book of Nehemiah today. But uh, firstly, as a, as a staff team at St. Mark's, um, you might not know that we meet every single day, um, or at least during the week, uh, weekdays at 9 o'clock every morning for staff prayers. Um, and this is half an hour of our time at the start of each day together where we uh, read something from the Bible, we share encouragements, we pray for whatever's coming up that day and for each other. And over the last few months, one of the things that we've been doing together um, on a Tuesday at Staff Prayers is a thing called Testimony Tuesday, really does what it says on the tin. Uh, we take it in turns each week as someone shares a little bit of their story, um, how they become a Christian or kind of what God's been doing in their life kind of more recently since then too. And my instinctive reaction when I kind of... so. It was pounced on a few, well, a couple of months ago now, uh, to share my testimony. It's like, oh no, I don't really have much to say. And I sort of cringe inside a little bit at the thought of kind of having to, to share that. Um, but it's been so good. It's been so good to, to hear from each other, to hear our stories and to um, just kind of have our faith lifted. And uh, it's faith building to hear what God's done in each of our lives. And um, for me, I found it uh, kind of really encouraging to remember what God's done in my life as well. And of course, he's done more than I kind of instinctively think he has when, when I'm first asked that question to share my testimony. And in today's passage in the book of Nehemiah, the Israelites are doing something similar. Um, we're in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Nehemiah today, um, and we're at the high point of the book. Um, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, then you'll have, you'll have been following this journey that the Israelites have been on. They've uh, returned from exile to the city of Jerusalem, and they've now rebuilt the city and its walls, and they're, they're ready to once again live in this land which God had given them, which God had promised their ancestors would be a place for them to live under his rule and to experience his blessing. And so it's really significant that just on the kind of the cusp of this um, kind of time of moving into this kind of fulfillment of God's promises and living back in the city which God set aside for them, that the Israelites spend the equivalent of three whole chapters, um, i.e. a lot of time. Uh, first of all, remembering what God has done for them in chapters eight and nine of the book of Nehemiah, speaking out their story, kind of looking back and remembering who God is. And then in light of what God has done in chapter 10, they recommit to living under God's rule in this city where he's brought them to. So let's take a quick look at uh, chapter 8 first. This is where our reading was from on the video. If you've got your Bibles with you, then do kind of um, turn to chapter 8 of Nehemiah because we're going to be going through quite a few different verses um, from these three chapters. And chapter 8 of Nehemiah really sets up what's to come in the following two chapters uh, that we'll be looking at too. The Israelites have come together in this newly restored city in Jerusalem for what's probably the first time in 70 years since they've returned from exile in this place together to worship God. This is a big moment for them coming together and much of this worship, which happens over like, a number of days, is, uh, revolves around listening to God's word being read out to them. The law of Moses uh, being read out loud by, by the leaders, as we heard in that video, verse 2 of chapter 8. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law of Moses before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read aloud from daybreak till noon, and all of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. 
they were listening to these instructions which God had given Moses hundreds of years earlier for the Israelites to follow. The book of the law was the way for them to live under his rule, which God had kind of uh, given to them. And the people listen attentively, attentive, I find it really hard to say that word, attentively, uh, to God's word being preached. They're like on the edge of their seats, kind of listening to what God has to say to them. And in chapter 9, in response to what they've heard, in response to that word of God, they remind themselves of why it's so significant, why it's so important, why God has given them this law to follow. So if we look down to chapter 9 together, we're going to go through a few verses of remembering why this was important. Verse 6, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. The Israelites remember that the Lord our God is the creator. He created us. He breathes life into everything on this earth. Verse 8, they say, You found Abraham's heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites and others. You've kept your promise because you are righteous. Our God is a promise-keeping God. We can trust him completely to do what he says. Verse 13, they say, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to our ancestors from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. Our God loves justice and he knows what's best for us when he's giving us his rule to live under. Verse 15 goes on, in their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. Our God is the providing God. He gives us everything that we need. So you see through this chapter, the Israelites remember who God is and what he's done for them. But they also recognize their tendency to forget and to rebel and to turn away from God and what he's done. In verse 16, they say, Our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. But it goes on, this chapter, verse 17. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and nations. 23, you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. And yet, in spite of this, in spite of the God that we're remembering, the gracious and compassionate God, again in verse 26, our ancestors were disobedient and rebelled against you. They killed your prophets. And so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. And so we have this cycle through the rest of this chapter uh, of the narrative of the Israelites' history. And it's the cycle of them turning their backs on God, his rule, his instructions, rebelling against him, thinking that they know better but then finding themselves trapped and enslaved and oppressed by other rulers. 
And so turning back to God, crying out for him to save them, for him to deliver them, repenting. Repentance just means turning from sin to God. And we see, don't we, in God's great compassion, he saves them again and again before the cycle repeats time and time again. Rebellion, repentance, rescue. Rebellion, repentance, rescue. And so the second thing which the Israelites do in this chapter here, in this kind of present time that they're in, back in the city of Jerusalem, having remembered who God is and what he's done for them, having remembered his faithfulness through their history, is to repent again. Look down to verse 33. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings who you have placed over us. You have acted faithfully, God, while we have acted wickedly. There's a real humility in the Israelites' response here. And even as they're at this moment of kind of victory, of celebration, of returning to the city which God's promised them, kind of put on the cusp of all of these fulfilled promises of the rebuilding complete and ready to live in the land which God has called them to, there's a recognition of their part in the story and a recognition of God's part in their story and what he has done. And remembering and repentance is followed by recommitment. The end of chapter 9 leads into this. In view of all of this, we're making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. They make this binding agreement, which is written down and sealed and signed. And chapter 10 lists all of the people who sign this agreement, this recommitment to following God as they come to the start of um, this time in the city of Jerusalem again. If we look at verse 29 of chapter 10, it says, They bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all of the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. This is what they were listening to being read earlier on, and here they're recommitting to following it, to following the law of God, to following his ways and what he instructs them to do. And then in chapter 10, we have a list of specific commandments, a list of specific uh, commitments the Israelites made um, to God at this point in time to do with who they were uh, marrying, to do with how they uh, spent their time on the Sabbath day, God's holy day, um, how they gave their time and their resources to the work of God and the temple in Jerusalem. And this list of things which the Israelites recommit to here is um, things which they were particularly struggling with, things that they were, um, having come back from exile, kind of really aware that they were still not doing right, were, were getting wrong, and they knew that they needed to address these ways in which they weren't living under God's rule. To recommit to God, to come under his rule again. And as they recommit, kind of, you... I don't know, I kind of feel like the story of Nehemiah, it's been such a journey and I feel like we're almost there and if it was a Disney film, I'm like so ready for the happy ending coming up. It feels like everything's kind of coming together really well for the Israelites. They're back in the city, they've rebuilt, they're recommitting to God. It feels really, really hopeful. 
But I'm afraid I have a massive spoiler alert, uh, because as we get to even the end of the book of Nehemiah in chapter 13, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks' time, we'll see that the Israelites have actually failed again uh, to follow through on their recommitment to follow God. On all of these things which they were recommitting to, they fail. They don't manage it. They, 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 they turn back to their old ways. They turn away from God and his rule and his law. And so this cycle of rebellion, repentance, and rescue starts again. And it kind of feels like the Israelites are trapped in this cycle. Like, how, how do we break this cycle? How do, how do they get out of it? What's God to do? How can he break this kind of Groundhog Day, kind of relentless, kind of perpetual cycle that his people, who he loves, are stuck in? We know the answer to that today. We know that the Lord, our God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, because he so loves the world. He gives his own one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be trapped in this perpetual cycle of rebellion and rescue, rebellion and rescue, but will have eternal life with him, assured, promised of that. In the book of Hebrews, it says that by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus died on the cross once for all to cut this cycle short, to break the cycle that the Israelites were trapped in and that actually we can get trapped in as well. So so that the Israelites, but also so that we who have such similar temperaments to the Israelites, even thousands of years later, that tendency to go our own way, to think that we know what's best, to rebel against God's perfect rule. Jesus died on the cross so that we as well would no longer be slaves to other rulers, no longer trapped and oppressed by other tempters, so that we can live under God's blessing and so that we can play a part in the rebuilding of his kingdom on earth as in heaven as we look forward to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, where God will establish his rule and his reign and his blessing in all of its fullness. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. But of course, we're we're not at that that new Jerusalem yet, that, that time when God's reign is in his fullness as blessing is in his fullness, we still live in this fallen world, don't we? We're still here in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And although we've been made perfect through Christ's sacrifice, we're not in fact suddenly perfect um, in any human sense of the word as we, um, as we become a Christian, as I'm sure you'll all know, we're not perfect. The book of 1 John in the New Testament says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. 
we still kind of in our time today, even when we're following Jesus, even when we've submitted to God and said, yes, I want to follow your way, we, we still kind of experience a part of that cycle of, of rebellion, repentance and rescue, don't we? we? We can still feel like we're in that a little bit and we can feel frustrated by that at times. Why am I not kind of moving forwards in this? Why am I still struggling with this, uh, with this thing which is from my past, which I don't want to be kind of lingering over me anymore? But the good news which we have today is through Christ's sacrifice, we're not trapped in that cycle anymore. Our rescue has already happened. It's, it's been guaranteed for us because of what Jesus has done. And so as we take time today to remember God's part in our story, as we remember, just as the Israelites did, who God is and what he's done for each one of us, through Jesus on the cross, but also in our lives since. What's our story? Where have we seen God move in our lives? Where have we seen his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his power, the power of his spirit working in our lives? As we take time to remember God's part in our stories, he invites us to respond today with humility to turn from our shortcomings and our failures back to Jesus who's rescued us and to recommit today to following him, to living under his rule. The Israelites recommitted to all kinds of things which they were particularly struggling with in their context at that time which they knew they needed to address, specific ways which they weren't following God. How might we need to recommit to him today? As we just heard in, in that reading from 1 John, he said, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so what might that look like for you today to live as Jesus lived? Where might you need to recommit to, to following God's ways instead of your own? Are we spending enough time with the Father. As we heard in our uh, story from Mary and Martha, from, from Narek and Amy earlier, Mary spent time with Jesus and Jesus spent time with the Father. Jesus did everything from this place of, of rest and this place of, um, of having spent time with his Father in his presence, being moved by his word. In that way which we saw the Israelites were moved by the word of God as they listened to it. Jesus spent time in the scriptures with his father. And do we do the same? Do we live our lives from a place of, of rest in our heavenly father? Do we lay down our dreams and desires and, and all of the ideas which we have for our time and our money and our relationships to seek first the kingdom of God as Jesus did, as he taught his disciples? Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Do we give hope to the marginalized? Do we come alongside the people who are so often unseen as Jesus did in all of the gospels, all of the stories of Jesus speaking life into people, speaking hope into people's situations, standing up for injustices? How do we need to live more like Jesus today? Do we need to pray on our knees for the world around us, for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done in our city, in our nation, as we see kind of this, this desperation, this need for hope, this need for, 
for, um, for God in our city, which we can so clearly see right now? How would Jesus be living in our context, in your context today? And what might it look like for you to recommit to following Jesus? We recommit to a God who is gracious and compassionate. A God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. We recommit in light of uh, Jesus' love poured out on the cross for us for each one of us, for you, for me. We recommit to the one who knows best for us, to the one who keeps his promises, who provides for all of our needs, who rules with justice. And so let's do that now. Let's respond and recommit whatever it is we feel like we need to to Jesus today. So why don't we stand together? And let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your mercy and for your compassion. Father, thank you for who you are, for your infinite kindness. For each one of us, Lord, we thank you for your part in our stories. We thank you that you, we can't do anything without you. We can't do anything by ourselves, we thank you that your way is the best way. And Lord, we're so grateful that you so loved the world, you so loved each one of us. You so loved me that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, so that to break that cycle, which we so often get stuck in. We thank you that you've broken the power of sin and death and given us new life you've given us freedom you've brought us forgiveness and Lord we want to walk in that forgiveness and in that new life today we want to where we're feeling stuck where we're feeling trapped where we're feeling um, the kind of the pull of sin and of um, of the things which we so struggle with again today Lord bring freedom we pray that you'd break those chains again today We pray for a fresh revelation of your love today. Lord, where we feel like our hearts have been hardened to what you've done for us. We pray that you'd soften them again today. Soften our hearts, Lord, and lead us back to you where we've wandered. Where we've been distracted, even this week, Lord, we we say we're sorry and we say we want to recommit, we want to follow you in every day, in everything that we do, Lord. And we pray that you would bring to mind specific ways in which you might want us to recommit to you. We pray that you'd bring to mind specific things which we can do this week to follow you. Help us to give time to recommitting. Help us to give time to seeking you, to spending time with you. To seeking your direction in wherever it is that we're we're at at the moment. And Lord, we pray that we'd do all of this um, 
in response to what you've done for us, not out of obligation or uh, guilt, but knowing your great love for us. So Lord, we pray now for a fresh revelation of that. Lord, move our hearts again for what you've done for us, for who you are, for what you call us to. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.